Good morning, everybody. Bit of a summer crowd this morning, eh? That's all right. We are so glad that you guys are here. Uh, Thank you for coming. Been praying for you all week, so I'm really excited. Um, Okay, just get set up here. All right, so I was talking to God about what what he wanted me to speak on this morning, and he said, Greg, I want you to talk about sin. Oh, (laughs) really? God, is that, that's probably not what you meant. I think that's me talking. I don't want to talk about sin, you know, who wants, don't go guys, just wait. (laughs) All right, (laughs) it's a joke, people leaving. That's how I felt. I'm like, oh, people aren't going to want to hear this. Uh, I said, God, you know, Josh is already bragging about having way more listens online to the sermons. This is not going to help me, all right? This is, I'm gonna, no one wants to hear this, you know? And uh, he's like, Greg, I know, I know. But, uh, you know, I just thought with your vast experience, you could really uh, talk about this subject. <laughs> I said, oh. oh, God, you got me there, yeah, yeah. Good one, good one. And uh, I said, but really, you know, Ross and Josh? You know, they, they don't have more experience than me? Come on now, like, surely, uh, he laughed and said, oh, don't worry, I asked them, but they said no. But, so here we are. So I'm talking on sin this morning. So bear with me. I'm really hoping we can change the narrative a little bit about how maybe we approach this topic. Um, really, there's three things I want to look at this morning about this topic. What is sin? What do we do? when we screw up, when we make the mistake, when we sin. And just as importantly, what is God's response when we sin? So, let's pray. (laughs) Father, I just thank you so much for my brothers and sisters that are here this morning, that you have brought them here this morning for a reason. You want to speak to us. God, you have spoken to me so much as I've studied this. And God, I believe that you want to bring freedom into the places that maybe we are having trouble experiencing freedom. Lord, you want to speak life into the corners of our heart where maybe there's death. And so, Lord, we just invite you to speak to us. Thank you for loving us. I just pray that that's what comes through this morning as we talk about this. Thank you for being here. Amen. All right. So... If we have faith in Jesus, there's some incredible things that are true about us. We have been made new. The old man has died. We were once slaves to sin, but now we have been united to Christ and his resurrection, seated with him in heavenly places. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have been forgiven. We've been justified. We've been reconciled to God. We've been given an incredible gift, this gift of righteousness. We are righteous. We are good. We have eternal life, literally right now. We have Christ's life now. We are indwelt by Christ. He is in us and us in him. And we are in the Father. We are the salt of the earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have the answer to the world's question, where is life? See, we have Jesus, therefore we have Everything we need pertains to life and godliness. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are children of God. 
We have access to his throne. We have an incorruptible inheritance. We are part of a royal priesthood called to share the good news of our Savior Jesus Christ to a world that is dying. We have life. But we don't always act like these things are true. Am I right? Am I alone? (laughs) No. See, despite all of this being true, sometimes we still mess up. We still sin. So what do we do with this? And as I said, just as importantly, what does God do with that? What is his response when we sin? See, I think this is extremely important that we understand these questions because our beliefs about this are going to affect our relationship with him and therefore everything in our lives. (laughs) Because our whole lives are affected by how our relationship with God operates. Am I right? So let's look at this for a second. What is sin? So there's kind of two aspects to this, two ways that the Bible uses this word. There's sin as in something that we do. Okay, it's an action. Uh, you, you know what I mean? It's very obvious. This is what, when we talk about we sin, oh, we've done something, and it's, we know that it's wrong. Okay, it's a transgression. It's against God. However we want to describe it, it's, it's an action. It's something that we've done. But there's another aspect, uh, another way that the Bible uses this word, and that is that the power of sin. So it's not just action when the Bible talks about sin. Sometimes when the Bible talks about sin, it's talking about a power or a force. Uh, Romans describes it, Romans 8, 2, calls it the law of sin and of death. It's something that is in us, this power, this law principle that is always at work. Okay, you think about the law of gravity that is always at work. No matter where you go in the world, there is a law principle. Gravity whether you're here or with my father-in-law who's in the Congo right now, he still has a law principle at work on his body called the law of gravity, keeping him firmly planted on the ground. And I can jump, but I always get pulled back down, right? That's what a law principle is. It's something that is always at work no matter where you go. That's what's happening. Well, the Bible says there is a law principle at work inside of us called the law of sin and of death, which means this thing inside us, this power, this force is always at work trying to pull you down to do what? To bring what? Sin and death, okay? This is what's happening inside of us. So sometimes when the Bible talks about sin, that's what it's talking about. So let's talk about these actions, sin as something that we do. So what is it? So it's very easy to look at the law. We can look to all the rules and regulations as we read in the, uh, in the Bible. Um, we know that when we break the rules, that's sin, Right? kind of a generally accepted thing that Christians say. Well, if you do what the Bible says not to do, that's sin. Right. But is that it? Is that kind of, as long as we keep within those parameters, I'll do what it says to do, and I won't do what it says not to do, then, then I'm okay. I don't think so. See, Romans 5.13 says, Sin was in the world before the law came. So when did sin come into the world? Who knows? Adam, right? So there was, before there were rules, before the law came, the Bible says sin was in the world. So in other words, sin can't just be when we break the rules. Otherwise, that means all the time before the law came, before Moses wrote the Ten Commandments, sorry, God wrote them, then he smashed them, then Moses rewrote them. You know what I mean? 
Before the law came, sin was in the world. So sin can't simply just be following the rules and breaking the rules. That can't be the only parameter for which we understand what is and isn't sin. The Bible says that sin came through Adam before the law, so sin cannot simply be breaking the law. See, the law was to tell us what sin was so that we would recognize it, we would know what it is, but it was there before the law. The law is to give us understanding uh, that we, basically to help mankind understand that we have a sin problem. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And so as sin spread to all men, because when Adam sinned, we sinned. Go right back to the, if you're, I'm, I'm blowing through some things pretty quickly here. This is a review. I encourage, if I'm losing you a little bit, go, please go back and listen to an early sermon that Ross did about life in Adam and all of that. What's the title of that sermon again? Do you remember? Probably not. Go online. It's there. All right. But we understand that when Adam sinned, all sinned because all were in Adam. And so sin spread to all men, and so death spread to all men. So this law principle spread to all mankind. And so everyone who is born is born in sin, with this law of sin and death as a consequence and result of the actions of Adam. And of course, we've all been paying for it ever since. Romans 3.23 tells us the consequence of sin The wages of sin is death. So we understand that this is more, when we talk about sin, it's more than just following or breaking the rules. Romans 14.23 kind of blows the lid off of this. This verse, I remember when I saw this, just stopped me in my tracks. I went, oh man. Romans 14.23 says, but he who doubts is condemned when he eats. Because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. I underlined that bottom part. Whatever is not from faith is sin. So hold on, hold on. No, no, no. We got all these rules and I got it. No, that's what sin is. When I break these rules or when I don't do what I'm supposed to do. But see, God's telling us there's something more to this. See, action, when we sin, sorry, whatever, whenever we act independently of faith, That's sin. So let's stop for a second. Well, what is faith? Faith is the belief, trust, and dependence upon Jesus, right? It's by faith, by grace, through faith, that we have been saved. It's not that we can save ourselves. No works, nothing you can do can bring you into being reconciled with God. It is only by faith, through his grace, That trust and dependence upon Jesus. That's what saves us. And so the Bible is telling us that as we live, anything we do outside of that faith, that same trust, dependence, total belief in Jesus, whatever we do outside of that, that's sin. Wow. See, Colossians 2.6 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Well, how did we receive Christ? Faith. Come on, I know there's more people who know the answers. Feel free to yell them out. We receive Christ by faith. And, Jesus, and God's saying, that's how you're supposed to live. That same trust and dependence upon me. And anything outside of that, 
is missing the mark. It doesn't matter what it looks like. We can act good, we can act bad, but the, the question about whether or not it's sin isn't just the appearance and what, what it looks like, it's the source from which we are living. And God's telling us when you're living independently of me, when the source of what you are doing is not in me, from abiding in me, that's what sin is. Sin is anything that does not have its source in Christ, that is from Christ, by Christ, in and through us. Christ living in and through us, that is what the goal is. So friends, whether it's a habitual sin, something you've slipped in, temptation in a moment, or maybe it's a, a pattern of coping that you've just developed over years that you're not even really conscious of. Uh, it kind of relates to, a, it's like a habitual sin, but I'm trying to make a difference between them. Do you understand what I mean? Some, some method of way that you've learned to cope with your needs or your problems, meet your needs. These things that we've learned to do apart from Christ. Strategies for living. <laughs> Sometimes they don't look that bad, do they? But if its source is independent of Christ, God says, that's sin. All right, so bear with me. This is the, this is the rough part, okay? We're going to get through this. So the question, do we sin sometimes? If you didn't say yes at the beginning, we're realizing now, you know what? We all do. We all trust in ourselves sometimes. We all try to meet our own needs sometimes. We all cope, have our ways of dealing with stress, fixing our problems, meeting our needs. So there's times that we trust ourselves instead of Christ. So what do we do with that? Going back just a second. Uh, whether it... Regardless of the type of sin it was, what I said, whether it's a habitual sin, something you just slipped up in a temptation, a moment, or a, a pattern of strategy for living, regardless, at some point, I think we're all, we all get confronted with the reality, the truth, that, oh, this, this is sin. So that, that's kind of the question then. What do we do when that become, we become aware of that? And so there's some common reactions to this that I see, I've seen in myself, I see in others, uh, shame. We, we just hate ourselves for it. We beat ourselves up. Say, oh man, I just hate myself. Oh, did I just do that again? What is wrong with me? Do you hear the message of shame? Oh my goodness, I, I'm just the worst. God must look at me compared to the others and just think, oh, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I have to love him, but man, that guy's way easier to love over there, yeah. We just think we're less. It's so easy to fall into a shame thinking about ourselves when, we are, when our sin is exposed, right? That's a very common thing. So what do we do with that? Well, we hide. We try and hide from God. You know, we pull the old Adam and Eve, hide in the garden. We think God's calling out, where are you? Okay, we try and hide. We hide from others. We don't want to be exposed. We don't want the people who know us to really know us. You know what I mean? So we don't, we don't want to let them see that. So we hide it with whatever way we can, whether it's through the busyness or keeping up a front. I'm really, I'm that guy smiling and got it all together, got the veneer on. You know, we hide. 
I don't want you to know what's really going on inside of my heart. I don't want you to know what's going on inside of my mind because it's dark and it's, I'm an ugly person. You don't want to see that. I'm going to hide that. So we withdraw. We maybe disengage. So, you know, you can engage on a certain level with people that never allows them to get in. You avoid those uncomfortable people who kind of get in your space. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't like being around that guy. He makes me uncomfortable. He, uh, he always asks me, how you doing? Not, hey, how you doing? And you can say, great. <laughs> no, it's that look in the eyes. Ooh, <laughs> avoid that guy on Sunday. Oh, I don't want the pastor to see. I hope Ross doesn't talk to me today because, man, I had a crappy week. You know. We hide. We don't want people to see. We're ashamed. We cover up. We overcompensate. You know, you perform. You, you get some activity that maybe gives the appearance that, no, 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 I'm really a good person. You fake it till you make it, you know. We beg God for forgiveness. You guys ever done that? Beg God as if it's something he's withholding. And oh, if, I, if I just cry enough, Get on my knees, God. I've done that. Beg God for forgiveness. We promise to try harder. I'll never do it again. I hate that. I don't want to do that again. I'll ne- I promise God, just I won't do it again. I just fix that emptiness I feel. Just I, whatever you got to do. Send me to Africa. Send me to whatever we got to do. We make promises, vows. You've done that? I've done that. There's lots more things we do. I don't want to keep going because we've got more things to talk about. But you, you, you see what I'm getting at, right? So what do you do? Just think about that. But what's Father's instruction to us? What are we supposed to do? We'll come back to that. First, I want to take a look at God's response. I don't think we can understand properly our response until we have a proper, clear view of Father's response. Because I think a lot of us, myself included, have spent a lot of our lives with a very bad idea, very wrong perception of God. And how he wants to talk to us about this. So what is God's response? What do you guys think is God's response? What do you feel, some, what do you feel like his response is sometimes? I think to understand God's response to us, we need to remember something really, really important. And I don't know why we forget this. <laughs> I forget it all the time. And I know this. I teach this. And I forget this. So I'm going to say it because we need to remember. We need to remember our union with him. Where we are. Like I said at the beginning, we are in Christ. Christ is in us. Just let that sit for a second. Christ is in you. You are in him. We are in the Father. 
That's where we are. We are in union with him. He has joined his life to ours. We are one. It's hard to really accept that sometimes, but it's the truth. This is what the Bible says. So when he responds to us in regards to our sin, remember this. That's the position we are in. 1 Timothy 2.13 says, he remains faithful. How faithful have we been? Sometimes he remains faithful. Period. End of discussion. (laughs) How can he? He remains faithful. See, we feel like God is far away when we sin. Often. We feel like he's, sorry, I don't mean when we sin often. I mean we often feel like God is far away. We picture God way out there. I'm over here and how do I how do I get back? He has never left. He has joined his life to us. He is faithful. He never went anywhere. We turned our hearts away from him. We looked for life somewhere other than him and therefore the experience was death. We experienced something apart from him and he is life, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. So when we live independently of him, anything apart from faith, we experience the payment of sin. It's, he's, he's happy to pay you and me. And the payment is sin or death. And so we experience that. But life was and will always be there. Jesus didn't go anywhere Jesus is life. He is one with you and I, him and us, us and him, and we are in the Father. He is not against us. He is for us. Romans 8, 31 to 39. I was going to summarize, but I just want to read it. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, man. Do you hear it? Oh, man, he is passionate about you. 
so in love with you, he is not letting you go. He is for you. So when you wonder what God's response is, I mean, I feel like crap and I'm awful and I'm all this. God is standing there saying, I am for you. I'm not against you in this. That's my position and it will never change. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what I mean. We're in him. How could he condemn us? Jesus was already condemned. Does he need to be condemned again? Does Jesus need to die again? No. We are in him and he is in us. There's no condemnation for us. We are in him. Do you get that? Man, I hope you get that. He's not going to condemn himself. We are one with him. We share his life. His life is joined to ours. I know I'm repeating myself, but it is, we forget this. He's not disappointed. I was nervous to say that one because I had to really look it up. I was like, really, God? Because I feel like you're disappointed in me. I feel like you're disappointed in me right now. I really let you down. I know what you wanted from me. I know what you expected. And I blew it. You're disappointed in me, aren't you? You guys ever had those thoughts? The kind of conversation with God? Or just in your own mind? See, he can't be disappointed in you. It's, it's like we think we can surprise him. <laughs> he didn't see it coming. <laughs> what? Oh, Ross, I, I had this plan. I had these expectations all here, and I really thought you were going to get them. And you didn't. <laughs> you blew it. Ross. God has no expectations on you. That's the law. The Bible says that we died to the law. We are no longer under that system, that, that way of, that covenant, where God said, here's the rules, and I expect you to follow them, and if you do, there, there's life, and if you don't, there's death. Boom. Done. We are not under that anymore. We died. The law has no jurisdiction over us anymore. So God does not have expectations on you anymore. Do you get that? So you cannot disappoint him. When we sin, he is not surprised. He already dealt with it. Whew. He's already dealt with it. When did he deal with it? At the cross. He knew. And for those of us who are in Christ, that's not how we approach God anymore, saying, I know you're disappointed in me. Let's deal with that. Let's deal with our sin. It's not God's approach to you and I. He is not disappointed. We die to the law. He is not angry at you. There's another one. Oh, I had to look that one up too. I said, surely it's in there. Come on. I know, okay. If, even if I can accept that I didn't disappoint you, but you got to be at least a little mad, <laughs> right? And guys, I, I, I looked. Because I have 
been convinced in my feelings that God was mad at me. Have you ever felt that way? God was mad at you. It's not in there. There's lots in there about God being mad and he's dealt with Israel and he, he hates sin. That's not what I'm... He doesn't hate you. He's not mad at you. It's not in there. It's not scriptural. God is not angry. The Bible talks about us grieving the Holy Spirit. Do you hear that word? It's different. He's not burning with anger against you. He's grieving. What does that mean? When do we talk about grief? When do we usually use that word? When there's loss, right? God grieves when we, and he loses the opportunity for life to be lived in a moment. And we grieve the Holy Spirit. And we feel it too. We grieve. I'm getting to that. But he's not mad at you. He's one with you. You're the same life. We don't always act like it. Sometimes we go our own way, independent, but he's not mad at you. He is not condemning you. He's not angry, and he's not disappointed. He doesn't punish us for our sins. Colossians 2.13, he has forgiven all of our transgressions, having canceled out our debt, having nailed it to the cross. God isn't looking for penance. He isn't looking for you to somehow make up for what you did. He already paid for it. He's already forgiven you. This is why I said one of the things falsely we do is begging God for forgiveness. Friends, we are already forgiven for everything we've already done. God isn't looking for you to beg him for forgiveness. You're already one with him. That hasn't changed. Proverbs 3, 11, 12 said that the Lord does reprove him who he loves. And so, and Hebrews 12, 11 says something similar. He disciplines. So this word reproving and disciplining, we can often, we twist that into being something. That's, see, I told you he was mad. Ah, you said it wasn't in there. That's not what that's saying. He disciplines. Do you know what that word is? It means train. He's training us, which means it may or may not have anything to do with what you did. He's constantly training us. Romans 8 says that he uses all things for the good, for our good, to serve us. He causes all things to serve us. To do what? To accomplish what? To conform us into the image of his son. That we would live like who we really are. That we would allow the life of Jesus to live through us in all aspects of our life. Friends, we're not there yet. We don't We still sometimes mess up, and that's why we're talking about that this morning. But understand something. His response to us is from the perspective of a loving father who is training us, disciplining us, reproving, correction, teaching, like a good father does, out of love. He does this for those he loves, that's what it says. And so it seems difficult in the time. It's not always pleasant. 
we have a sense of sorrow. I'm going to get to that. It says, those who have been trained by God, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. See, it's by his training that we experience the life of Christ to live through us. The very thing we want. We want life. That's what we're going after. That's what we want. And so he's training us so that we will experience that. That's his, that's his position towards you and I. It's not condemnation. He doesn't want you to stop sinning so that you, you just feel better about it. That he, you look nicer. Thank you. No. He wants life for you. He's given you life. It's there. You have Jesus. And he wants you to experience him in all the fullness that he has. All that he is available to all that you are. And sin is simply when we choose to do it our own way. So let's keep talking about this God that we, talk, that we turn to when we've sinned. Isaiah 53.5 tells us that Jesus is a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. See how relatable he is? He gets your hurt. He understands. He knows the wounds that you have. He's acquainted with grief. See, we think, God just must not get it, you know? Like, I'm trying. I'm trying to live how he wants me to live, but he doesn't get how hard this is. How could he? He's God. Oh, he gets it. (laughs) He knows the weight of the human condition. (laughs) He knows what it is to have loss. He knows what it is to have sorrow. He's acquainted with grief. (sighs) Hebrews 7, 24, 25 says that the Holy Spirit or that he's our advocate. He's, he's not against you. He's actually advocating for us. He's for you. Romans 8, 26, 27, that he intercede, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. I mentioned this already, but Ephesians 4, 30, yes, we grieve the Holy Spirit, but grief, grief is a type of sadness. It's not anger. Ephesians 4, 32, he is tenderhearted and kind. Do you think about God that way? Especially when you've blown it? Do we think of him as being tender-hearted? Kind? Or do you picture this angry man with a stick waiting to hit you? Oh, you blew it. Hebrews 4.15 He has sympathy for our weaknesses. Tempted as we were. He knows what it is to be tempted. Wow. (laughs) When you go to God, after you've blown it, he has sympathy. Does that not blow your mind? So different than how so many of us picture God. So different than how so many of us have thought he's responding to us. And those lies that we picture That image we paint of God makes us keep a distance. It doesn't make you want to 
cuddle up on his lap, does it? Because you're just waiting for the shoe to drop. Unless you've got it all together, and then, okay, then I can dare approach some intimacy with him. But the second we screw up, we think, we, oh, man, head for the hills. <laughs> he has sympathy. He knows. Jesus knows. Kind of as a side note, I can't go too much time on this. But this also helps us in how we respond to others in their sin. Ephesians 4.32 talks about being forgiving, kind, tenderhearted, quick to forgive. You can't do that for others until you experience that first from Father. And if you don't think God's like that with you, how are you ever going to be able to be like that with somebody else? Galatians 6.1 talks about restoring someone who's caught in a trespass in a spirit of gentleness. Is that what you see on the news? Christians being gentle for people caught in trespass? Is that how you've responded in your heart towards people who you know are living lives in rebellion against God? What about your brothers and sisters? And you're like, oh man, that person, that guy over on the other side of the, over there, they do not get it, eh? <laughs> that person is blowing it. I, I do not want to be around that person. See, it's so easy for us to become very judgmental and cynical because we think that's how God is. We might not say that out loud, but how we respond to others is very often how we think God is responding to us. So, moving on. That's a whole other sermon, but it's related, so. So how do we respond when we sin? Understanding God maybe looks very different than how we have pictured him. Maybe not. Maybe you're here. Maybe you've, you experienced this, and thank you. Share that with others. But if this is painting a new picture for you, let's go back to the question. What do we do? How do we respond when we sin? Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in the time of need. What do we do? We remember our position, our relationship to Father. We are in him. He is in us. We are in the Father. Romans 2.4, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God, the kindness of God, leads you to repentance? 2 Corinthians 7, 8 to 10, the Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, Corinth uh, in 1 Corinthians, he had to address some pretty tough stuff some tough issues, uh, stuff that they were doing, sin, uh, transgression. And in this letter, we discover Paul had a hard time writing it a little bit. He, he, he says, Though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I, sorry, I'm putting the wrong emphasis. I did not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. I now rejoice, 
not that you were made sorrowful, but, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. See, the Apostle Paul had to confront, address, bring to light the sin that was going on in the church. And what did it produce in them? A sorrow. And that sorrow led them to repentance. And here is the key. And we've all heard this word, or many of us have heard this word, How do we respond to God when we've sinned? Repentance. So let's talk about that. Are you sorrowful over your sin? Do you feel bad? However you want to word it. First of all, I want to say that's evidence of your new life in Christ. Right? The Bible says that we are now slaves to righteousness. Before, you were free in regard to righteousness. You didn't really care. Your moral compass was based on whatever morals you happen to be up, brought up with. It was, we call it a conscience. But now that you're a child of God, you're a slave to righteousness, which means you, you care. You can't help it. It is your nature. You don't like it when you sin. You may sometimes feel like it in the moment. But in the end, in your, really, in your true heart, the core of who you are, at some point when we're confronted with it, you will feel sorrow. Not, God doesn't want us to feel shame or anything like that. It's sorrow. It's a loss. We've experienced death. That's when we use that word sorrow, right? And God says the response then is to repent. And so you look up this word repent that Paul uses when he's talking to the Corinthians. And in the Greek, it literally means to change your thinking. And I'll be honest, for myself, most of the time I've heard the word repent, I think it means I gotta try not to sin. Or I gotta turn away from it, which kind of in my mind interpreted as the same thing. I gotta try not to sin. Um, That's one interpretation of it. Uh, A lot of people think that, oh, repentance means, uh, actually this isn't necessarily wrong, but it's only kind of the, the first part of it. That basically, if you didn't think that what you're doing was a sin, and now you're confronted with it, God tells you that it is a sin, change your thinking. Oh, I didn't realize that what I was doing was sin. I didn't realize that that was the cause of this death, this destruction, this pain, this conflict, whatever it is that I'm experiencing. Thank you, God, for showing me. That's because of sin. Oh, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying every conflict, every suffering, everything is a, result, is a result of your sin. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when God says that it is, change your thinking about it. Repent. Agree with God. You're right. Thank you. I didn't know. Now I know. But I think repentance goes beyond this. It's not just saying yes, that what, what I'm doing is sin. It goes beyond that. Now that we are aware of our sin, we are to change our thinking about that sin. So we think things like, I can't stop. What's the truth? We are dead to sin in its power. We are no longer slaves to sin. Yeah, but I don't feel like it. I don't act like it. But that doesn't change the fact what's true. We got to change our thinking. See, we 
base our beliefs on what we feel, and God's saying, repent, change your thinking. You are not a slave to sin. You are free. You died to the power of sin. When you died with Christ, sin, the master of sin, no longer has power over you. He's not your master. You don't have to sin anymore. So we got to change our thinking. we got to repent of that. That's what that means, change our thinking. See, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from this law of sin and death. So as powerful and overwhelming as the law of sin and death feels sometimes, and we give into it all the time, we obey the old master, it doesn't change for the fact that it's true. God says you have a greater power in you. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. And so we need to change our thinking based on what he says, not on what I feel or how I act, based on the truth. See, you are not a sinner. Sin is in you. The power of sin, the law of sin and of, de- of death, it's in you, but it's not you. It sounds like you sometimes. Talks first person in your head. Oh man, I'd really love to get a good sin on. Man, I just want to rip that guy's head off. That sounds like my voice. It's not. Do you realize that? You've never said that? Oh, bless you, sister. (laughs) I've thought it. I've thought lots of sins. That's why I'm talking about this, unfortunately. (laughs) And see, I used to think that that was me. Ah, see, I'm a sinner. I want to do bad things. You don't. Friend, you don't. That is something in you telling you. The law of sin and of death waging war. This is Romans 7. So what do we do with that? How does repentance help? So this is, this is the key. We've got to change our thinking. See, repentance goes further than just asking, did I sin? And okay, I'm going to try not to. And now that I know that it's sin, I, I, I agree. But now what? We need to ask some questions to help change our thinking about that sin. What need am I trying to meet? Why? Why do, I keep, why do I do that? Why do I keep doing that thing that I don't want to do? I don't want to do it. I know that now. But I kind of feel like I do sometimes. And What is that? Okay, it's a law of sin and death in me, making me think that. But then why do I keep doing it? What am I really hungry and thirsty for? Because I think it's that thing. But that's a lie. I'm not, I don't actually want to sin. Ask the question. Change your thinking about it. What are you really hungry and thirsty for? There's a desire that is deeper than the sin. And it's not wrong. Sin is when we try and meet those needs and deal with that hunger and desire or whatever it is on our own. So ask the question. See, it's not wrong to have hunger or be thirsty, is it? But when we believe what we really want is sin, we are believing a lie. See, the truth is you don't want to sin, despite the fact that it feels like it. The fact is you might even like it in the moment. You may like sin in the moment. It's pleasurable for a moment. But the truth is, you don't want to do it. At the core of who you really are in your spirit, you want life, not death. And that's what sin offers, death. So you don't want that. We have life in Jesus. And so what we're really hungering for 
in a vague sense, is to experience his life. We just may not realize that's what it is. We have this hunger, this desire, this need, whatever it is. And we don't realize what it is we're really wanting and needing is Jesus. So we look to something else. Whether it's habitually, tempted in a moment, or just a pattern of coping and whatever. So why do we keep doing that? I mean, sin pays us death. We know that Jesus gives the free gift of life. We already have it. See, only Jesus satisfies. Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. Jesus said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. What is he saying? That's kind of some weird language. He's saying, I'm the one that satisfies your hunger and your thirst. I'm the only thing. Do you believe that? If you don't, repent. Change your thinking. Jesus is the only thing that satisfies. Or do you think you might be missing out on something that might be a little bit better than his life? Maybe his life would be a little less fun, less satisfying. Maybe it's boring. Do you you believe those lies about the life that he has, about himself? I've heard people say that. I've thought it. Nervous to surrender to God's life because uh, certain aspects, okay, but there's this one area. I just don't want him to go there because what if he takes that fun out of it? What if I don't get to, you know, that's kind of fun. I think if I totally let righteousness reign, it's going to be boring. Do you believe that? That's a lie. (laughs) See you guys laughing at the back. You've thought it, haven't you? (laughs) I have. I know. It's, it's, this is, that's what we need to repent of, friends. Those are the lies that bind us. We need to change our thinking. See, anything other than Jesus that is living from his life is death. Only he fulfills. See, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit of abiding in Jesus. That's joy. Love, peace. Do you hear it? This is what satisfies. This is what we want. And it's there for others too. The things we want for other people to experience in our lives, that's what Jesus wants to do through you. You want to be a good parent, a good friend, a good co-worker, whatever it is. It's only through Jesus. It's not by pretending to be somebody else. All we have to offer of any worth, any life, is Jesus. We need to change our thinking. His life is awesome. We need to count or reckon ourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God. Do you see what I mean? We recognize we are dead to sin and no longer has power over me. I no longer have to sin, but what do I do with my hunger? I'm alive to God. All that he is, he makes available to us in our need. We are alive to God. So all that he is, he makes available to all that we are. So we need to change our thinking. We need to change our thinking that it's up to us to find a truly enjoyable life. Friends, he is it. Good book to read if you want to understand a little bit more, have a nice little picture painted for you of the personality of Jesus. Read Beautiful Outlaw by John Eldridge. Cool book. Uh, Just looking at the person of Jesus. 
If you're nervous about really letting him in <laughs> into all the aspects of your life, that's a, it's a good book. Maybe see him in a different light. See, this is why a lot of the New Testament letters tell us not to sin. See, it's very easy to read all that instruction in the New Testament about not sinning as, it's very easy to read it as law. But see, he's urging us to live. <laughs> There's a difference. What it, when, when he's telling us not to sin, it's because he's saying, let Jesus live here. It's not about just following the rules and do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. We've got to put it in the context of our union with Jesus. God wants you to experience life. Remember, he's loving, he's patient and kind and understanding. He knows our wounds. And sometimes our wounds are so deep we don't even know what they are. So maybe we need to spend some time with the counselor. That's the Holy Spirit. What our wounds are. See, some of us have received wounds that have left us believing lies. And so we need to spend time with the counselor. Let him show us what these lies are so we can change our thinking, exchange those lies for truth, and let freedom come in. Jesus is already there. Life is there. Freedom has been purchased. And he's saying, let me bring it in. And it's painful. Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So in conclusion, guys, I've packed a lot in. And I'm out of time, but... I want us to understand that this time on earth we have, it's a journey, and it's a journey you are not alone on. He is always with us, loving you fiercely and forever, no matter what. He is not letting you go, ever. That's a promise that he made. No matter your past mistakes, you're forgiven. He wants to bring healing and bind up the brokenhearted. He wants to bring life where there's death, you think your sin is great? Grace abounds. He is bigger. You can't outsin God's grace. You can't outrun his love. You can't outsin his love in his presence. He has bound himself to us forever, and he's happy about that. If you need to maybe talk to a trained counselor to talk about some of those wounds, that's always a good idea. Sometimes we get a little bit confused when we're talking to God. We have our own thoughts that are uh, waging war against us, so maybe that would help. But regardless, don't just leave it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your patience, your kindness, and your love. You are so awesome. I just pray that we would not forget that incredible message of your love and grace towards us. It's so easy to forget, especially when we've messed up. Help us to remember who you really are and your feelings that you really have for us so that we turn to you in that moment. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.